Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. My notes here. So the title of this retreat is um, Centering the Gift to Ourselves and to Others. And if you've been with us since the beginning, then uh, you know we started with ourselves. We started finding our own center, just learning to hold our own swirl of emotions and whatever else we're going through and uh, find that place of connection and balance and centeredness because that's where it starts it's like you know the old adage of uh, putting on your oxygen mask before you help others you have to uh, come to that place of balance and connection within yourself before you can be truly effective um, in sharing your practice with others. And just as the, the Buddha um, in the meta meditations um, and the, the way that it's come down, uh, the, the practice starts with metta for yourself. You start with wishing yourself well and then expanding out to include uh, benefactor and dear friend and uh, loved one and a neutral person, even difficult person, and then all beings. Uh, we start with ourself and uh, hopefully you found some connection these first days. It's been beautiful to see in the small groups how many people have, have commented on uh, it's not as far away as they thought they didn't have to go and do a month long at spirit rock to to feel that connection but that's only part of the the process now we have to um, reflect on how we can offer our practice to others we said at the beginning i mentioned uh, that i'm thinking of this time as we're all in this together but while it's true that we all are dealing with the same circumstance, which is such a rare thing that everyone in the world, pretty much, um, is having this, um, this situation in their consciousness, it affects people in different ways. Some are very privileged and are saying, oh, what a wonderful respite this is. And then they might feel guilt or shame as has come up in a couple of the, the meetings. Oh, I've got it so good. Uh, as you look at the news and see that it affects others in a very different way. And so I wanted to address that first and i want to read a, a beautiful prayer but uh, put out by the ursuline sisters of louisville 
This is what they call prayer for a pandemic. May we who are merely inconvenienced remember those whose lives are at stake. May we who have no risk factors remember those most vulnerable. May we who have the luxury of working from home remember those who must choose between preserving their health or making their rent. May we who have the flexibility to care for our children when their schools close, remember those who have no options. May we who have to cancel our trips, remember those that have no safe place to go. May we who are losing our margin money in the tumult of the economic market, remember those who have no margin at all. May we who settle in for a quarantine at home, remember those who have no home. As fear grips our country and many other countries, let us choose love during this time when we cannot physically wrap our arms around each other let us yet find ways to be the loving embrace of god to our neighbors amen prayer for a pandemic by the the ursuline sisters of louisville and it, it's up on the home page in case you're you're wondering and this situation highlights the inequities. If you've been looking at all, just uh, here it is. I've been making a point to tune into and see how this um, casts light on our society in a way that rarely things do so starkly. Uh, maybe you've seen the, the places hardest hit of all, mm, inmates in prison. Mm, here's, I pulled a couple of statistics. 87% of Michigan inmates at a prison have uh, contracted uh, the virus. Of 266 inmates that the Michigan Department of Corrections tested for the virus in units that hold patients, with other health issues, 208 came back positive. As I say this, just kind of invite you to breathe from time to time. It's a lot to take in. Just for, for a moment, just including all of the inmates in this country and around the world, but particularly in this country, <coughs> who are so exposed. And then there's nursing homes, which I'm sure you've heard about. <clears throat> mm. 
New Jersey nursing home outbreak is just one dramatic example of a trend of infections and deaths sweeping through the nursing homes across the country. <clears throat> Since late March, 57 residents have died at the Andover Subacute Rehabilitation Center, according to the Division of, of Health. <clears throat> In New York, 19 nursing homes have re reported at least 20 deaths, each linked to COVID-19. A single home in Brooklyn reported 55 deaths. Four other homes in New York City reported more than 40, et cetera, et cetera. A New York Times report Friday found at least 6,900 deaths in US nursing homes. So let's just take that in for a moment. And perhaps you're also aware or you've been hearing about the meatpacking plants lately <clears throat> that um, in, one, in one plant in Iowa, 90% of the 1,326 people tested positive, uh, testing positive are tied to the Tyson pork processing plant, health officials have said, 90% of all the positive tests are from one meatpacking plant. And there have been orders to um, shield the meat companies from uh, being sued by employees who don't wanna go in so they can't collect unemployment. And this has been happening all around the country. And people have to choose between um, their job or contracting. So let's just take a moment and let that in. And I, I say this not to depress you, but it's something that we need to keep in mind as we are finding our own center, that the practice is about then somehow being a force of goodness and compassion and caring in the world. And I want to read to you um, from Thich Nhat Hanh's uh, 14 precepts, one, this is one precept. He has a series of 14. Mm. And this one says, do not avoid contact with suffering or close your eyes before suffering. Do not lose awareness of the existence of suffering in the life of the world. Find ways to be with those who are suffering, including personal contact, visits, images, and sounds. By such means, awaken yourself and others to the reality of suffering in the world. Mm -hmm. 
Remember the Buddha started his teaching with the first noble truth because as we're willing to open up to the suffering and the pain in the world, we find a capacity to hold that and to respond to it and not be afraid of it and transmute it into compassion. So as the heart breaks, it can break open. We protect ourselves from feeling or from uh, encountering uh, the, the pain and the sorrow around us. Most of us often do. But when we're willing to see it, our heart is touched and breaks open and then starts to feel not only the suffering, but the love and the compassion that's elicited. So I wanted to talk about <clears throat> this quality of expression, expressing our compassion and cultivating it and uh, and seeing that this is the, the full flowering of our practice. Compassion, as probably you know, is uh, one of the four divine abodes, sublime states, <clears throat> along with loving kindness and joy and equanimity, there's compassion. And the thing about compassion is it is loving kindness, it's metta, as it faces suffering. The usual translation or definition of, of compassion, karuna in Pali, is the quivering of the heart in response to suffering. So suffering is a prerequisite for compassion to arise. I find that so interesting. Compassion needs suffering to be activated. A sublime state, it's called the sublime state of compassion. Now, obviously, suffering isn't sublime, but the caring heart that comes with that response to suffering, that is sublime. We are wired up to care. It didn't have to be that way. It didn't have to be that way. It could have just been we're all going about our own, our own life and every person for themselves, but we are wired up. It's built into the system. We have mirror neurons that when we see somebody else in pain or sorrow, it lights up in the very same place in our brain as if it were happening to us. That is, unless we are uh, putting on blinders or afraid to look at that suffering. When, when we allow ourselves to be touched, that caring response and that connection, that resonance is activated. <clears throat> Mm. Here's something I, just for fun, I thought I'd, I'd read to you. Mm -hmm. We're wired up not just to care for human beings, but for everything around us. And I, 
I want, I love this passage that uh, comes from my favorite book on compassion. It's called The Compassionate Life by Mark Ian Barish. And he, uh, he describes the heart connection that exists between us and the most essential elemental form of life, not essential, elemental form of life, bacteria. So a research scientist, he went down to this place in uh, uh, South Bay, um, put in uh, some yogurt in a Petri dish near him and placed some electrodes in the dish. This is true. And the needle just sat there. And then he asked Mark, the author, to think of a deeply disturbing emotional experience. And now I'll read from the book. Mark writes, rummaging through my memory, I had a sudden flash of my sister's death and I was flooded with a surge of grief. At that very moment, all by itself, the needle of the, on the meter buried itself in the red zone, then oscillated wildly back and forth. We hadn't touched anything. The box was hooked up to nothing except the yogurt, strawberry, my favorite. Nothing in the room had changed but my feelings. When I switched my mental focus back to my surroundings, the needle went still. Okay, the researcher said, now think of an incident of physical pain. I called to mind a recent medical checkup that had involved taking several blood samples. The needle kicked fitfully like a man whose sleep had been disturbed. He had me remember a moment of profound embarrassment. I'm not telling. And again, the needle twitched abruptly as if in response. And what was being revealed here, he claimed, was that all living creatures from microorganisms to pets to people resonate to the field of the human heart. And even more, the human heart can be touched by uh, everything around us if we are tuning in. But everything responds to us. We are wired to feel that in a very little very literal way the um, the understanding of interconnectedness mm. so here we are in this opportunity where we're practicing to offer our practice to the world to whoever is around us that we can respond to. And when we respond, the, the, the sublime state of compassion is um, not something that we do for others exclusively, but we actually do it for ourselves as much as for others. The Dalai Lama has this beautiful phrase, he calls it selfish altruism. And he says, this is good. We're the ones that benefit when we express our caring heart. He says, this is a good thing to, to have and to do, but not to get identified with being the helper. Ramdas calls that being stuck in helper prison. Oh yes, I'm such a good helper because when you do, then you're creating a helpy as well. And you're putting each of you in different roles. And you will be on the receiving end of help in your life probably many times. But to realize that in that exchange, the one giving is just as fed and nourished 
by the one as the one who's receiving. As long as you're not giving more than is your share to give, not to be a martyr, but to give out of joy, not giving out of guilt, but to give out of care and love. And this in Tibetan is called bodhicitta. I want to read to you a, a short expression, a short teaching, and then uh, share with you a little video that um, I hope Brian can cue up in a moment. This is from uh, great Tibetan master Nyosho Kempo. He says, we're not practicing for ourselves alone since everyone is involved and included in the great scope of this perfectly pure motivation to benefit others. Whatever else we might do is secondary to that. And if we cultivate this good heart, this altruistic unselfish attitude, then all strife and struggle will naturally be pacified, purified and transformed in us and become beneficial to others through contact with this good heart, which we, the bodhisattvas, strive to embody. So we're the ones that benefit as we are pacifying ourselves, and then we can be a benefit to others. And bodhicitta, it, it's called the, the, the awakened heart, the seed of awakening. And uh, Brian, if you could queue up, I want uh, to share with everybody a clip of um, the Dalai Lama. You get to see the Dalai Lama uh, uh, touch. Um, just the first 45 seconds of this clip, don't, don't start it just yet, um, uh, Brian. This is a clip of the Dalai Lama uh, talking about bodhicitta, about the heart of compassion. And you'd think, by the way, since he's been talking about this his whole life, that he kind of gets the idea and it's just sharing a teaching. Just like you might say, oh, I've done metta practice before. I got the idea. But watch as he talks about bodhicitta, what happens to him as he tunes into the depth of what that word means and what acting from compassion is. So go ahead, Brian. Thank you. I see that and that's the teaching right there. He goes on to offer his teachings about bodhicitta and what it means, but that's it right there. This is somebody who's developed it 
so deeply within himself. And yet when he tunes into it, he's overwhelmed at times by the, the depth of that care of the human heart. It's something to consider that we can be so moved by our own caring heart, not to, mm, not to um, uh, identify with it or say, oh, look how caring I am. Oh, I'm such a caring person. But to, as I was saying yesterday with the um, feeling, the generosity, I think it was, to just feel how good it feels to care. And when we're in touch with that, the awesomeness of our, of our caring heart, then there's a transmission that's actually happening. And there is the, the joy of serving, the joy of being there for others. And I wanted to read to you, let's see if I can, uh, from, well, here it is, from somebody uh, who, this young woman, um, Eileen, who was, uh, I had interviewed about service and she has dedicated her life to uh, tremendous service going to Kazakhstan and uh, uh, places around the world. And I said, wow, what motivates you so much? Why are you so, so, you know, this is your life. And this is what she said. I'll just read her words. I think it's a very human thing to want to serve. It feeds something in the soul. If people look honestly, living their values counts more than money. If you're not aligned with your values, it eats at you. When you are, something in you grows and comes alive. Each one of us has our own hidden purpose inside and needs to uncover it and give it wings. Service is one of the things that gets in touch with that most natural and true part of ourselves. Makes sense, doesn't it? You know how good it feels to care. Papers here. Mm. This is uh, Albert Schweitzer. The only ones among you who will be truly happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. Again, the Dalai Lama. If you want others to be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. So here we are um, in the middle of this incredible situation mm. and the heart can break. So I wanna just say some words about holding our caring heart because we can get overwhelmed in the process of taking in all the sorrow and the suffering around us. And so compassion needs to be held with another of those Brahmviharas, equanimity. 
If there's a lot of compassion, but not finding that center, as we've been talking about these days, then we just get overcome. How can I hold it all? Oh, they're all depending on me. I was in one of the small groups, uh, uh, this retreat, and somebody said they feel like they're carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders. And I encouraged them to take that weight off. We're not depending on you to save the world. And we're not depending on you to have your heart torn up so that uh, you can show how much you care. But as a, actually what supports that care is a spaciousness and a centeredness that can hold it all. And the, the beautiful archetype that uh, perhaps uh, most of you are familiar with um, is that of Kuan Yin, the embodiment of compassion, wise compassion and stillness. And if you've ever seen, maybe I'll, I'll post a picture of Kuan Yin and her relaxed pose. I can't do it here because I'm kind of locked in with my chair, but she has one leg crossed over the other and her hand is out. And there she is hearing the cries of the world and still finding a place of center and spaciousness that's not thrown by it, that's not ruffled by it, but can be there and simply respond in a balanced, effective, loving way. Mm. And sometimes people think, oh, I've got to fix it. I've got to take this suffering away. But actually, the interesting thing is that if there's not anything you can actually do in this situation to, uh, uh, to bring about some change, if somebody is hurting and they're pained inside and you're, you're there with them and wanting to make a difference, just being there, just being a loving witness is the real healing. And I often think of what it's like when somebody, uh, if you're going through a hard time and somebody says, oh, this is so terrible. Oh, this is tearing me apart. It's just, it hurts me so to see you in pain. How does that feel? Probably not so great. Then, then you feel, oh my goodness, now I got to take care of them. It was bad enough as it was. But if somebody is there without trying to change you, but simply says, I just want you to know I'm here for you. Oh, that must feel so, be so much to carry. I want you to know I'm right here with you. Ah, there's a, a, a real healing in that shared centered suffering. I'm, I'm reminded there's a, an anecdote I love of um, uh, Leo Biscaglia, this old wisdom teacher used to, used to tell uh, he was a judge for a contest of the most caring person. That was the, the contest. And the winner was this four-year-old boy. And his mother tells the story that got him the prize. And she said, we have a neighbor 
just uh, just next door to us, um, whose uh, wife of um, 50 years uh, passed away. And he was in deep, deep grief. And he would sit on his porch and, and often just sob uh, for many weeks. And one day, my son and I were out on uh, uh, outside in front of our house. And all of a sudden, he walked over to our neighbors and uh, sat with him. And in the middle of the sobbing, he was there for uh, just a, a couple of minutes and in not too long a while, the man just calmed down and, um, and softened. And then the boy came back and the mother said, what did you say to him? That was amazing. And the boy answered, oh, I didn't say anything. I just sat in his lap and helped him cry. I, I feel every time I, I tell that story, I just sat in his lap and helped him cry. And sometimes that's all we need to do. And sometimes it's all we can do, but that's enough. When you can do something, fantastic. But when you, when you can't fix the situation or change the situation, just being there and reaching out, this is what we need. This is why we need each other at this time. <clears throat> if you can do something, not just about one person's suffering or sorrow, but about expressing your caring heart, then do it, not just to be a wonderful person, but because as one of my teachers, Angelus Arian says, action absorbs anxiety. So there we are anxious and not knowing what to do. Oh my goodness, um, when will this end? Who knows? And uh, what if our, we go into free fall and the mind will just kind of keep on spinning out, especially if it's contracted and thinking about the future in uncertain times. But all of that caring, if you can find an outlet for it, you're harnessing that caring into skillful action. So action absorbs anxiety. In the daily quarantine, what am I doing here? In the daily quarantine um, uh, questions that I posted, uh, we, um, there are six quarantine questions and one of them was, who have I reached out to or connected with today? So if you are in your house and you're wondering what to do, just even reaching out to somebody who would be so grateful for you thinking about them. If there are things you can do, then great. We're actually, I'll just share with you here, I shared it in one of the groups. We've recently, Jane and I, she's been uh, overseeing this, this project where we came across, we found that there were thousands and thousands of masks of defective N95 masks sitting in warehouses, and this is around the country, uh, but in the Contra Costa warehouse, hundreds of thousands of N95 masks that aren't being used because the 
elastic is outdated and it won't, won't hold. And we saw, and I said, isn't there something they can do with that? And I Googled defective N95 masks, and lo and behold, there was a, a, there's a church in San Diego, uh, the Rock Church that has 19,000 members that are repairing 300,000 N95 masks, exactly the same situation. And um, they, we, we got the lowdown on them. They're, they're certified by CDC overseeing the project. And you get these very expensive latex, non-latex rubber bands that are put on in a certain way and the masks are, um, are usable. So what Jane did has really been beautiful. See James, can you hear me? We've lost you. I don't know if you can hear us. Ryan, is there anything we can do to bring James back? Um, I'm sure that he'll be back in just a minute. Uh, his internet probably just messed up for a second. Here I am, back here. Okay. Did you miss me? <laughs> um, anyway, uh, there are these masks all around the country. Hundreds of thousands have, uh, have been shipped to various parts. But you find what you can do. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's changed the whole thing for us. So, oh, this is really neat. This is something we can do. Because we want, we need to do something. We want to do something. Uh, and again, like not being in helper prison, we're the ones that get, it's what's called helpers high, right? Well, you can get a helpers high just by reaching out to somebody near you and saying, hey, I want you to know I care. Uh, one of my inspirations, Julia Butterfly Hill, she's the, uh, the, the activist who went up in the tree uh, to sell the, save the old redwoods over uh, 20 years ago, just about 20 years ago. And she's very inspiring when she speaks. And she, um, she ends, uh, when she ends her, her talks, people come up to her and say, oh, Julia, you've inspired me so. And her response is, oh, that's so wonderful. Inspired you to do what? And so if you're, if you're wondering what, uh, what can I do, think of something. Think of something that you can do that can make a difference, that can be a contribution. There's a, a, a line I love from Shanti Deva. He wrote the, Go, the Guide to the Bodhisattva's Way of Life, where he says, the miracle of awakening lifts us above poverty into the wealth of giving to life. That's where the real wealth is. So as you're centering yourself, realize that your compassion and your caring held with equanimity, held with balance, is the great gift you can give to others. 
not to rescue them, but for your own selfish altruism, everybody wins in this. And I want to uh, end with um, just a, a little passage or a part of a beautiful piece that Jack wrote called The Bodhisattva Response to the Virus. And I'll just read some of it. This is up on the, on the uh, page, the homepage. Dear friends, we have a choice. Epidemics like earthquakes, tornadoes, and floods are part of the cycle of life on planet Earth. How will we respond? With greed, hatred, fear, ignorance? This only brings more suffering. Or with generosity, clarity, steadiness, and love? This is the time for love, time for bodhisattvas. In Buddhist teachings, the bodhisattva is someone who vows to alleviate suffering and bring blessings in every circumstance. A bodhisattva chooses to live with dignity and courage and radiates compassion for all, no matter where they may find themselves. This is not a metaphor. As bodhisattvas, we're now asked to hold a certain measure of the tragedy of the world and respond with love. The bodhisattva path is in front of us. The beautiful thing is we can see bodhisattvas all around. We see them singing from their balcony to those shut inside. We see them in young neighbors caring for the elders nearby, in our brave healthcare workers, and the unheralded ones who stock the shelves of our grocery stores. Mm -mm. This is a time of mystery and uncertainty. Now is a time to add our part. The Bodhisattva deliberately turns toward the suffering around to serve and help those in whatever, around us in whatever way they can. This is the test we've been waiting for. We know how to do this. Time to renew your vow. Sit quietly and ask your heart, what is my, most, my best intention, my most noble aspiration for this difficult time? Your heart will answer, let this vow become your North Star. Whenever you feel lost, remember, and it will remind you what matters. It is time to be the medicine, the uplifting music, the lamp in the darkness. Burst out with love, be a carrier of hope, if there's a funeral, send them off with a song. Trust your dignity and goodness. Where others hoard, help. Where others deceive, stand up for truth. Where others are overwhelmed or uncaring, be kind and respectful. It is time to reimagine a new world, to envision sharing our common humanity to vision how we can live in the deepest, most beautiful way possible, coming through this difficulty, what we intend and nurture we can do. In the end, remember who you are is timeless awareness, the consciousness that was born into your body. You were born a child of the spirit, and even now you can turn toward the awareness and become the loving awareness that witnesses yourself reading and feeling and reflecting. When a baby is born, our first response is love. When a dear one dies, 
The hand we hold is a gesture of love. Timeless love and awareness is who you are. Trust it. Dear Bodhisattva, the world awaits your compassionate heart. Let us join in this great task together. Just want to take a moment to sit. So we have a few minutes before we close. If there's any questions or comments, and uh, and please uh, be 